Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonks. I'm Kennedy Cooper, and it's a pleasure to be with you as always. We've got Leia. Leia Rose. Leia is here. Leia, what is happening? Are you a host again? Oh, yeah. God, it has been too long. <laughs> it has been far too long since I've been on an episode. Yeah, things are going to be things are going to be moving in my life. Things are going to be changing. I'm going to be a host again. I'm going to try to do that. Moving out of Texas uh, to Montana, which is a little bit of uh, fry into the fire. But yeah, I'm pleased to be on another episode. And tell me, Kennedy, who do we have for this episode? Well, you know, it just so happens that this is going to be a really good one because we've got Pat Cody and Joy Marie Mann. And you all listening probably know these folks from Twitter. But what mm -hmm. you should start knowing them for is their new book, which we're going to be talking about a little of that today and some politics in general. That new book is the Yas Queen Chronicles. Oh, and God. it is out-ish, I think. Is it? Is it out? Tell me. It's actually, we are finishing up the final edit and it will be printed and sent out this month. But pre we do have pre-sales. Mm -hmm. All right. Awesome. Pat, Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming by. Uh, we've been really excited to talk with you just in general, because like you guys are funny as hell on Twitter, but also about the book, obviously, and everything that you've got going on just in projects in general. And we appreciate you taking the time to make us one of those projects. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, awesome to be here, really. Hell yeah. Do y'all want to just for for anyone who might be listening to the show who kind of lives under a rock, maybe doesn't get out much? Well, none of us get out much anymore, but you know what I mean. Do you want to take a moment to just uh, introduce yourselves and maybe just give a little bit of who you are, your background, the things that you're into, et cetera? Sure. Um, so I'm on Twitter as Pat the Burner. I also am Nate's Liver parody of uh, uh, Nate Silt. Nate's. Jeez, I don't, I almost say you can't Nate's, even say it anymore, right? I've forgotten his real name. <laughs> <laughs> Nate's, Nate, I can't even say it. Nate, Nate, Nate Silver. Nate he, he's, a it? he's a Nate Silver. He's a gremlin who lives on the internet and right? consumes polls. Yeah, I just call him Data Boy. That's all I need to know. So I also, uh, so that's my parody account, and I was, I'm the artist formerly known as Peter Douche. I used to do a parody account of uh, Peter Dow. <laughs> Yeah, it's just incredible stuff all the way around. And, and Joy, what about you? Tell everybody what you got going on. So most people know me as Savage Joy. Um, I've done a, a video podcast for over three years and have had Great. over 200 guests. Um, I've done over 300 shows. I'm really fortunate to have interviewed people that I can't believe even agreed. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I like to, um, you know, I do shows very differently. I have I have I've done over 175 Bernie Krat candidates from across the country since 2018. But I also do rep elected reps, activists, public figures, but I also do debates and things like that. And then I also do issues um, such as uh, mental illness and um, sexual assault, things like that. So really I do a plethora of shows, whatever inspires me, but I'm, I'm also known as a, uh, a 
burner. I went to, I moved from Pennsylvania to Iowa for five weeks to volunteer for Bernie. And so I've become like, uh, you know, a disgruntled asshole the, the past three months more so than usual. Um, so I'm kind of, known yeah, as, uh, <laughs> someone who used to be very sweet and is now a total hopeless bitch. <laughs> I, I think we're all feeling a little that way in this year of our Lord 2020. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, it seems like maybe a, a little bit of that sort of hopeless bitch rage was channeled into y'all's new book. Is that accurate to maybe make that assessment? <laughs> oh, 100%. I was like, I need an outlet because when Burn dropped and Tar Reed came out and I saw the way that women especially were treating you know, victims, uh, it, it was just so repugnant. And I thought, you know, I gotta channel this somehow people like when I post snarky stuff. And I reached out to Pat. And I said, Look, I know you're writing on a second, you're working on a second book. But I have, you know, I kind of want to I'm thinking about maybe making a book where I, you know, I put all my tweets that are funny and in the book, or maybe even making like a comedy or or something and I was like it'd be cool to be a parody and I expected him to say yeah I could understand that but like he's been on my show a bunch of times but we weren't friends we were just acquaintances so to write right. a book with someone you need so much um trust in them and we've never met even to this day in person so I didn't know how he'd respond but I was blown away. He's like, what's your phone number this weekend? Let's get started. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Pat, do you want to weigh it from your perspective of that story at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, back to what you were saying originally um, about the book, like whether anybody laughs or not, it was cathartic for me. So mission accomplished. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we've all been through so much that it's like, other than yelling fuck on Twitter all day, this was a good outlet. But yeah, as far as joy goes, I mean, we we have the same sensibilities. We both, you know, politically are pretty much in tune. And uh, it was, I mean, it was really easy to work on a book with her. We we just, the only thing we ever fought about is like, I wouldn't say fight about, but like we're both so unfiltered that we, we both would approve things to go in the book that probably shouldn't be in the book. <laughs> so <laughs> right. so it, was, it was always a matter of talking the other one down like, ooh, that's a little... I know it's coming from Nancy Pelosi, but that's a little too racist still. <laughs> right. Stuff and like that's, that. always, yeah. that's always a funny thing, isn't it? When you're trying to like portray a character in fiction who is a shit heel, but like right. you also still want to be somewhat sensitive to yeah. like the people that are actually being victimized by people like this. Yeah, it, there's a bunch of weird lines that you sh shouldn't cross, I'm assuming. And I imagine it was kind of kind of hard to navigate those. Yeah, I mean, they, I, if I told you them, you'd laugh your ass off, but Twitter would cancel me. <laughs> right. uh, the eternal dilemma. <laughs> well, and then also when you're doing something like a book, that's a little more serious in terms of like, you know, someone could come after you for libel if you are, don't kind of like toe the line a little bit yeah. or things, you know, things of that yeah. nature. Uh, I mean, in theory, we could always get sued, you know, but yeah. Yeah, but we did with this labor. <laughs> 
parody gives you a lot of leeway with that stuff. So, and I come from a family of lawyers, so I, I feel like I'm pretty protected. Said, I mean, said guy. <laughs> and, and as a backup, as a backup plan, I'm completely broke. So, I think we're safe. Relatable. Um, yeah, and, and the thing is, is like it's in in this modern bizarro capitalist hellscape of America, a rich person could sue you for anything. But the question is, how much case do you have? And as long as you're you know watching watching yourself a little bit, you should be pretty safe. But there are certain lines that you can't cross there either when you're publishing. A book yeah. so yeah that's a whole that is whole, true yeah that's a whole water to navigate do you think that the the final product kind of lived up to your expectations though or at least as close as it is right now you yeah know? yeah no i mean we're basically done we're we're we have the last chapter we're editing right now that's it so yeah. we're pretty much submitting the book to print tomorrow so oh wow essentially we're done um, but the printing process takes a little I bit couldn't be more happy with it I mean, I am so proud of us. I, we still laugh every time we go to edit. My husband is is um, acting as our editor as well. And he, every time he reads something for like, even if it's the fifth time, he cracks up. And he is a good editor simply because, well, we were both English majors, so that helps. But he's not a Twitter person. He doesn't know who Nira Tantrum is and, and Nate's liver. He doesn't mm -hmm. know who these people are. Are. So the fact that he's still laughing is so encouraging to us because it shows even if these people don't know who our characters are completely, they can still identify with, you know, people being, you know, total shit libs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the part that doesn't translate if you just read, you know, because we just sent you guys a chapter because book's not out yet. But the uh, the characters all have small little character arcs throughout the story of the night because it's. I, I guess we should probably explain what the book is for someone reading it. But it's basically a. Yeah, uh, let's get the synopsis out of the way. It's kind of like a lecture series thing with a bunch of Democratic pundits and MSNBC commentators, you know, uh, just talking politics for a few hours. So that gave us room to have some little, you know, conflicts with some of the characters and things like that. Yeah, it's been amazing because news has been happening with our main characters as we've been writing. Like two of our moderators are Joanne Greed and Chris Badviews. And as you guys know, right. you know, since we started writing, he's gotten fired and she's taken his place. So... Yeah. It's actually kind of works out. We can edit that in. And, you know, a lot of stuff has been happening while, you know, this has all been going on. Alyssa Shalano is someone that I feel like if we just kept copying what she says every day, our book would be 500 pages. We'll never get it done. So <laughs> We've kind of tried to like yeah. stop reading into her as much as possible because she's just so easy to trash. Do you feel like the pressure is kind of high in this internet era to like keep it kind of bleeding edge in terms of like the news and content that's going in though? I think that's such a fine line because like, you know, some people that have read parts of the book think we're making up these stories of what they did, these characters, um, just because they don't know how actually ridiculous these characters have been right. in real life. So the, the line is you want it to make it funny while still being them, while still informing the viewers or the readers, but like taking it too far, like what's too far these days, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. It, that's the, that's the weird line we always debate, you know? Well, yeah. And I think 
like anyone who reads our book and gets like offended in a bad way should Google what we're saying because trust me, a lot of it's accurate and a lot of it's quotes. It may not have the quotes on the sides because it is written as though it's dialogue. Yeah. But, you know, we were recently interviewed by a woman um, who has a podcast, Brooke Hines, and she said, when I was reading it, I thought, man, some of this stuff is so outlandish. But then I researched it and I realized, holy shit, they actually said that stuff. Right. So yeah. if you get offended, I, Google it because we have a lot of receipts for things. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's true, especially in politics. Truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely. And people do have a, a problem a lot of the time where like, I think a lot of people and especially liberals, to be honest, have become too credulous, you know, and like they just don't tend to believe a lot of this stuff. I remember a while back on, on this show, uh, I did a bit about Beto's nickname and his dad giving it to him to make him more electable in a, you know, uh, yeah. largely Latino state um, right. and all of that. And like people thought it was a joke. And it wasn't until later on, like, and even Brandon, one of the hosts, thought I was joking. <laughs> and, and it wasn't until later that I was like, no, this is serious. On like, I think it was a live stream later. And yeah. like, yeah, and, and, and uh, somebody was asking about it. And I was like, no, this is totally, this is 100%. And I posted the article because like people have, you know, like I said, they're, they're kind of so willing to sort of scoop up whatever people shovel out. And I think we see this in a lot of our like modern national, international political stage just in general. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that was the fine line in the book is like, we don't want to write something that didn't happen because there's enough real material out there. So, you know, we didn't really create things that weren't from the real world. If they gave us so much material, it really would have been pointless to try and write anything from scratch. The only thing we've changed in the book is, you know, change their names to, you know, be more accurate, their last names, right. um, and, you know, added some humor in there. But everything they say is pretty much direct quotes. It just, you read it and you're you find yourself thinking how absurd it is. You put it more into perspective, like, wow, they really are batshit crazy. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it's like, it's like you, look, you look online right now and, and everybody was debating the last few days whether that Twitter account settle for Biden was real or not. And there's an actual Twitter campaign settled right. for Biden. I, I've been hearing about that and it makes yeah. me want to fucking die. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not parody. They actually think they're going to help get voters to Biden with the campaign settle for Biden. I remember this. I remember reading this tweet that went along the lines of um, I was wearing my settle for Biden shirt the other day and somebody went up to me and was like, hey, fuck Biden. And then I was like, yeah, I agree. And then and then the tweet ended with uh, I'm still voting for him, though. Hashtag vote. Hashtag settle for Biden. Like, what the fuck, dude? If there was ever an opportunity to use the word cuck, it has to be in relation to settle for Biden. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Can the left reclaim that word? Because that, that yeah, is a funny I, word. It's a fun we word. Need to reclaim it right now for this specific explicit purpose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could I could not believe that that was especially because there have been so many fake Biden campaigns that have gone around on Twitter. There was that the it's not his brain, it's his heart. <laughs> which famously went very viral. It was very hilarious. But that, of course, turned out to be a parody. So when I saw Settle for Biden, I was like, this is good, but it's another joke. I, I, come on. They say 
it's former burners and i don't buy that shit because burners are not excited to vote for biden and they don't do that whole like still vote blue no matter who gar no no <laughs> don't buy it stop it you're because you guys i'm sure have seen on twitter there are you know people who have their you know twitter names be things like burners for biden bitch no you're not shut up no no, no. you are not I don't, I, I don't know if y'all had any of these kind of experiences surrounding the election, but we certainly have a lot of these kind of stories of just like, you know, a lot of the sort of wishy-washy, semi-progressive libs, or at least progressive aspiring <laughs> libs, you know, all kind of like pretended to be cool with uh, Rose Twitter and people like that for a while. And then the minute Bernie dropped out, it was like the knives came out and they were like, JK, uh, <laughs> we didn't mean any of that. Yeah. Um <laughs> We get into that. <laughs> That's yeah, definitely yeah, no, and it, <laughs> you know, and uh, and the social media accounts, the Twitter accounts, the people. It's always like, well, I'm for Bernie, but it's always the but part. That's how they try to uh, do it for feel. Him, but sure, you did. But <laughs> the Supreme Court, RGB, you know, all the we get into all that shit. But and, and yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is, like, a lot of us in like the circles that we run in and like definitely for a lot of us who are like hosts of this show um and y'all know plenty of people like this as well we weren't like oh bernie's perfect we're so in love with bernie there's nothing that he could do wrong we were just like yep this is this is okay this will get some stuff done this is, <laughs> right. you know uh you know this 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 has a chance to like maybe like patch some of the major holes in this sinking ship we call a country yeah you know and and we were just we were all relatively positive about it and a lot of us like you know bernie's personality and some of his like history and things like that too i'm not saying that he has no good personal attributes but i'm just also saying like there were yeah, a well, lot of people that viewed him as a saint in this way that they sort of treat right people. it was like anybody that voted for bernie it was like you're a nut job who's just crazy about bernie it's like no we're just trying to get some health care <laughs> well, we, they went overnight from calling us cultists for following him to why aren't you listening to your cult leader like logically <laughs> that's very flawed. They had this idea of us that existed in their heads, and when the reality didn't match up, they got angry at us for not following their idea of who we were. Absolutely. But did you guys? Oh, man. I don't think Biden's going to pick Kamala, and they are flipping. K-Hive, you really want to see? You think burners are crazy? Oh, oh my God. God. There's the actual 2020 election cult. Jeez. I have been... I have given up, and this isn't a joke, but you know, I've given up on hope for a better world, and I only hope for a funnier world. And objectively, the most funny outcome is Kamala being snubbed for the Veep slot. Oh man, I'm waiting with popcorn. They are losing it. And we get vote shamed all the time and threatened and bullied, but there are so many of them are saying, I won't vote for Biden unless he picks Kamala. Well, okay. <laughs> These people worked overtime to just empower the very worst in the Democratic Party. They like literally did everything they could to like fight against any kind of equity in the party and in the country. And now, after doing all of that stuff, thinking that they were making the party more progressive, now all the regressive, the most right wing elements of the Democratic Party are now in a room deciding which black woman is the least threatening to them um and is the most go along get along and it's every it's everything that they pretended to denounce all fall and all winter and they 
literally broke their backs putting it into power. I know Leo was talking about rooting for a funnier world. I don't know. That seems funny. Win or lose. And this is interesting, too. If she wins that conversation with Chris Dodd and Joe Biden, if you're in the K-Hive, what were you having hope for? What was the point of any of this for you? You're losing in every possible way because they said we could have had Susan Rice, uh, who already works with Biden, loves it. But we think Kamala will even will be even more go along, even more get along, even like the choice of those people. It's incredible. Yeah, right on. Absolutely. You know, we're all racist for calling Kamala the top cop, even though like she's the one who gave herself that name, you know. And and she won her primary for uh, attorney general from the right. Yep, barely too. Um, I wanted to steer back to the to the book for a sec. So y'all have mentioned it's like you kind of put a little bit of a spin on a familiar concept in a way because in a lot of ways, like you look at the this book and it it is a. Uh, has a lot of like familiar concepts of political satire with like the goofy names and like the general kind of playful format and stuff. But then as you get into it, first of all, you know, this is written from a much further left perspective than a lot of other similar works. And then second of all, as you guys mentioned, there's actually this aspect to the book of a, a lot of this comes directly from real life. So you've really put like an interesting twist on it. But I'm still curious, since there do seem to be some themes, you know, that have resonated throughout other political satire throughout many years if y'all had any particular influences or inspirations that you were looking to that uh helped you to like craft the tone for this book so to speak i mean for me like i i have cnn or msnbc on constantly in my house so i'm always listening to these guys and you know if you follow the real news and then you watch their news it becomes real apparent where their deception lies in the media. So, I mean, my motivation is them for the most part. Yeah, I don't watch MSM, but I I have the most incredible viewers in the entire world who send me clips of stuff and they're like, look at this shit. And then I'm like, ooh, thank you. I don't have to watch the whole thing now. So, you know, they help me out a lot. But honestly, you know, some of this shit writes itself, like Nancy Pelosi with a Kentake cloth, like things like that. Like, come on, like you're writing this shit for us. You are. You're writing it's been said before 2020 is going to put satire out of business because how can you write anything more ridiculous than and this is where i gesture outside of my window yeah. <laughs> yeah. well we tried pat you talked about like getting information from the real news and comparing it to the world you're in right now what sources do you guys go to um when you're collecting information about the world around you are you on twitter or are you on other places where you're like this is real news yeah, I mean, for me, my source of news is Twitter, but it's, you know, it's the articles. It's not like just someone's opinion in a, you know, 120 character thing. But I read, you know, tons of articles every day. You know, I mean, I really like lefty sources, Jacobin, you know, all the all the podcast circuit out there. But when you read something, you can check your sources on it. When you watch it on TV, it's not sourced very well and it's vague. And half the time, it's a narrative created by somebody who wrote a shitty article. And if you're on Twitter, you can track down that article, read the article, read people's opinions, debunking the article and why it's propaganda. And when you see the whole chain of the propaganda going from some shitty local paper or some you know really not credible source and then it ends up on mainstream news you see how they manipulate people so for me i mean twitter you know twitter itself like i said it's not it's not about people's tweets and opinions it, it's more i use it as a source to find the relevant article 
levels. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And I think, you know, one of the the best things I read tons of articles, especially, you know, Jacobin, and I've been so fortunate to to interview many of their writers, I use them a lot. But also sometimes the best ways to learn things is just watching the videos themselves, getting the the quotes directly from those who said it. Because uh, some of the stuff you're like, nah, that's got to be out of context. And then you watch it and you're like, okay, wow. So yeah, sometimes it's best to see if there's a video of it and go from there. That way it's not skewed or anything. But I do definitely get a lot of my info um, from people's posts when they post interviews and articles. I think that's really great. And I love that you mentioned Jacobin. Uh, I'm very, I'm a big fan of Jacobin. You should actually put me in touch with those guys because I've always wanted to have a spinoff of Jacobin <laughs> called Blackobin. <laughs> Blackobin. I love it. I love it so much. That is good. Um, something else like Pat you mentioned just like consuming a lot of mainstream news and media and one thing that I've kind of found like when we do the research for this show and stuff a lot of times what we're trying to do is like you know kind of deconstruct bad narratives and construct a better one right and so when when you watch I want to see if y'all kind of feel this way too I feel like a lot when I watch these mainstream media sources that I'm able to kind of like see the tells so to speak because like they do the same shit over and over again when they're lying or covering things up and that like that always gives me like the places to go investigate and like so I could just like read like three centrist sources about a topic and then spend 10 minutes on YouTube actually investigating it and feel like I have a a, a relatively clear picture by just filling in all of the gaps the things that they won't say myself do y'all feel that way when you're looking at a lot of this stuff like it's just so obvious where they're like leaving out the things that they should be saying yeah completely I mean if if you just look at if the guests that they had on TV, the pundits and the, you know, the propagandists, if they just had to disclose where they worked and there was like a paragraph that was neutral describing what that place does, you know, that would reveal a lot to people like, like near a tan, uh, tantrum. I've been writing this book for so long. Near a, <laughs> near a tandem. Every time she goes on TV, you know, they don't tell you who she works for her history. If they did that, it would be revealing to a lot of people. So, you know, I mean, when you have someone on that's like works for bomb maker <laughs> talking about foreign, foreign policy, you know, that's, it's so disingenuous, you know, and, it, and right. they stack their panels with people, you know, and that's what they did in the primaries. Of course, they stacked their panels with Hillary people from 2016 and, and pundits and people that worked for CAP and people that are against Medicare for all because they work for the insurance companies. And, you know, of course, the outcome is going to be that, well, you know, you probably shouldn't vote for Bernie. He's risky or whatever narrative they want to spin that night. Yeah, I, I personally consult my um, my body language expert every time I, I watch one of those shows. <laughs> you have to. How else do you know? It's very important. Absolutely. From the moment that she brought on the body language expert, I said, as soon as Chris Matthews is out of there, she's getting that job because there was nobody <laughs> just trying harder, just trying harder to, to get the pat on the head and the belly rub. It was really amazing. Oh, and uh, Pat, while we're talking about uh, Nira, you mentioned like people know nothing about Nira Tandon. Can you talk about her history slash cap for people who don't right. have no idea what that is, but do it in an entertaining way? So that it's not too hard. <laughs> <a lot> of <laughs> Can you do it as a rap? 
Okay. Near oh. a tantrum. No, don't do that. I'm going to do my... Uh, I, I can't even try to. Thank you. Please don't. <laughs> we'll save that I gave the dare. Wait, we'll set you up. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Near we'll save it for the Patreon. It'll be it'll be a crossover. It'll be fun. Okay, so near a tantrum. Uh, first off, the thing that they, they leave out, obviously, or maybe they'll bring it up once in a while, but she uh, she ran Hillary's campaign, was a top top aide in Hillary's campaign or whatever. Um, then she went for went to work for CAP, which is Center for American Progress, which is peak neoliberalism. Basically, it's a, it's a lobbyist group effectively that takes money from anyone that will pay them to push any issue they want. When they first came out, they took a lot of like uh, Saudi money to push you know, oil uh, issues, like basically argue against in a roundabout way, cleaning up the environment. So, you know, pro fracking and things like that. So they, the organization pushed themselves as sort of like a, an alternative to extremist left stuff, you know, like this is what we can get done is how they like to pretend they exist as an organization. But they're very much like the problem in our government is that they have too much power. Yeah, Nira is definitely a, a queen gaslighter. Um, she is one of the most insufferable, just hateful people ever on Twitter. When I think about her, it, it infuriates me because she has never been held to the standard of, of so many other people. Um, she actually, our campaign manager, Faz, um, she punched him in the stomach because uh, he dare asked about Queen Shillery's um, Iraqi vote for the war and she punched him in the stomach. She admitted it. She refused to apologize. And, you know, things like that. I just wonder, oh my God, if that was our campaign, whoa, like it would have been insane. Um, So people like herself it, are just um, immune to, to any kind of establishment critique. Um, So it's so frustrating to watch her sanctimonious attitude continuously and us us invalids are the only ones who actually push back and tell her how repugnant she is so um what are you planning on doing after this book is out beyond just continuing with your um twitter accounts and being funny and posting i know it was mentioned that pat you have another book that you're writing yeah, so I started one, I actually was almost done with it based on pointing out media bias. So it was like, it was called When Life Gives You Don Lemons, written by Nate Sliver. Uh, the problem is I wrote the book assuming Bernie would, was going to win, which was really fucking stupid, naive. Probably. You really tempted the fates. I always go back to that Bernie tweet about the establishment not being able to stop him. I feel like the establishment read that tweet and they were like, hmm, all right, I accept the challenge here. <laughs> Right. You kind of you kind of threw out the challenge. You started working on a book. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so, <laughs> so it's a mix of like I I stopped the, I stopped the rewrite to do this book, and then also you know if you're writing about the media, it has to be timely. So half of that stuff, there's better stuff to replace with. So I'm I'm doing a rewrite on that as we speak, starting again probably Tuesday now that we're done with this. But yeah, no, I mean after after. Um, after this book, I mean, it's more. I'm a make. I'm a hybrid of activism, sort of journalism, but not quite. I mean, I I try to cover democratic events when I can. I'm just a schmuck on Twitter who's in grad school in theory. 
I will keep posting. I will stay at my post. That is what I. That's what I'm hearing. Here. <laughs> I was born for this. What about you, Joy? You what's 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 in the future with uh of the Savage Joy show and all that? Or do you have anything else going on also? Well, I, I do definitely keep very busy with um my guests and my show and stuff like that. I we actually have been scheduled to go on Nina's podcast, which I've freaking out about so that's coming up on the 20th figured i'd throw that in there because i'm totally bragging uh <laughs> so that's coming Woo! up i still do a lot of shows and pat and i actually have an idea to do a second book already we're not done like we've had so much fun that we just we're you know, there's there's so much stuff that we're not getting in this. So he came up with a, a different concept that we could totally make a, a, a second book. Um, so I'm going to kind of start on that while he's finishing up his uh, Lemon book. And, you know, also, I, I lost a lot of my sight. Um, last year, I have no sight in my left eye and very little sight in my right eye. So it's it's time consuming for me to write and, and stuff like that. So I'm still kind of trying to, to get used to doing things. So that's why Pat means so much to me because he kind of like made it so that I can still do you know, I could still write and still do something I always have done. Joy, you're making me sound like a good person, which goes totally against my my street cred <laughs> here or whatever. Oh, yeah, he mumbles under his you... breath after he tells me he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love my cat. He's a terrible way. person. We have, we have one here. His name is Brandon. He's here right now. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Um, you sound like you have such a, such a cutting style online, but actually in real voice, in real life, you have a very smooth, friendly voice. You sound like an airplane pilot or a, a children's TV show host. And you just, you're just saying it. all these dunks as you're just like, well, children, this guy's going to get executed. We've got to send him to the guillotines. It's... <laughs> <laughs> There's your captain speaking. We're going to be cruising to 25,000 feet and then killing all the bourgeois. On your left, decapitations. for <laughs> all. <laughs> that's right. That's that's one of our next policy platforms. That's funny. Okay. Wow. Anyway, I wanted to quickly like ask y'all, what is your writing process like because you you have kind of danced around the, the description of it so when you guys like get up or like when you how did you start with an outline did you write it in order and then what was the day-to-day -day process of writing like for you yeah so um basically we we set up a google doc that we can on at the same time and then broke it into chapters of uh different subjects and started filling it in with an outline and then you know we would get up in the morning and say let's let's work on chapter one shit libs or whatever it is and then um, kind of collaborate and then work together on it that night and then keep working on each chapter in that way so i mean for for four months we we kind of every night we spent three or four hours on the phone looking at the same Google Doc. Yeah, and he's been so incredible. Sorry, Pat, for complimenting you again. But he's had to do a lot of the actual typing because it's, you know, I 
can't really see a keyboard. So he's been doing the laborious uh, part, but we, so he, <laughs> when we're editing, he reads to me what we've written and then we go over it. And, you know, since we've never met, it was kind of a challenge in the beginning. How do we communicate what's easier, you know, and we, it took us a little bit to get our groove, but it has been so equal. We have both written the same amount of stuff and we have you know there's been very few things that we argue about as far as what to put in and and thankfully i've always won <laughs> like you it's so incredible it's like incredible circumstance that brings the two of us together because my former boss was vision impaired and he was also an author and as you were telling that story i thought about him because he had a way of like he actually produced books faster because he used dictation and he had just trained himself to be like a good dictator. Ha ha. That like it, he actually wrote faster than he did before he had his impairment. Um, And his his condition is such that like he like can't go out for too long or like look at a screen for very long so in those situations of like sensitivity physically you know there are lots of really good ways to kind of ameliorate that and be able to get your thoughts out to the audience which is great that's incredible props to him that's so awesome honestly it worked out i think really well like i mean the collaboration part of it was easy probably better than if we were in the room together because it's like, you you know, we kept it to the words on the page and then what we'd say to each other. And I don't know, it was a no brainer. That's something anybody can do, which is also great. Like people who are listening to this can think, Hey, I can like find somebody who I connect with and you guys yeah. are kind of setting an example. Other people can follow. And you know, an editor's is going to fix your, your stuff anyway. So that's kind of the game plan. The one thing I worry about is, is when Joy and I would write in the same document in the book, we would write inside jokes to each other. Like I'd say, you know, I'd type something in the book, ridiculous, right next to her flashing cursor so she could read it. Like, Joy, you're a terrible person or something. <laughs> um, this is the even better reason for people to buy the book so that they can immediately scan for places that your team right. messed up. They can we should leave one not. You forgot the insults you flung at each other. We should definitely leave one, of, one or two of them in. I, I got to I got him back by writing his about the author and let me tell you something. Oh, yeah. it was good. <laughs> I might just leave that in because I don't really care. Exactly. <laughs> Gosh, I can't wait to see what that looks like. <laughs> uh, I'm curious before we wrap this up, I just want to see if I can squeeze at least a little of this out of you. You you have hinted a little bit about like some things that you know maybe might end up in like future books or like things that maybe like some I you might have had some ideas that like you're just like we can't fit everything in here. Would you at least give us some hints or tidbits about like what what things were left on the cutting room floor that we might see in a possible sequel? Ooh, cutting room floor probably nothing because it was all the stuff that's just too well. We did we did talk about doing an after arc after hours book unfiltered totally separate but i think the audience for that is too small um, yeah like a fly on the wall, fly on the wall type thing <laughs> right the, the next book we were talking about was more about uh, basically we don't have it dialed in but but being at fundraisers this book is so very kind of revealing the revealing the fundraising side of things you know like all the discussions that happen at it the wine caves 
Yes, discussions in wine caves, that kind <laughs> of thing. And honestly, honestly, with the rate at which insane, ludicrous news is constantly progressing, you could just wait one year and then write a second book pretty much identical to this one, but updated for the circumstances. Right, I mean. <laughs> right, well, that's true. And the thing is, if we were smart about this, which we're trying to be, if we're gonna do a next one, I mean, instead of going back six months later and a year later, we're actually recording all the, the stuff we want to put in the book as we go. I think that'll be helpful for our next one. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing with with that concept would be this book is at a public forum. It's a resistance forum. So it's being videotaped. There's a couple thousand people there. And then the alternately, you know, uh, a fundraiser would be, okay, this is like something gets leaked. This is something that happens when no one else is around. You're going to learn just how jacked up they really are. Right. Explicitly, they don't want this stuff out there. And when it does get out there, it often makes them look very bad. Like right. see, the, see the instance of Kamala Harris you know, talking about locking kids up for truancy and laughing or, or anything along yeah. those lines. It's like when they're when they're in the right. smoky rooms with those people making those jokes, they're not thinking that any of us are going to see that shit. But that's that's the mask off. Yeah, that's the nothing will fundamentally change Biden to the rich donors conversation. Yeah. yeah you know, we've talked a lot about like the past and we've also talked a lot about the present of this of this primary season and the post primary for y'all i know that is not like why you're into this so think about like what is it what is all of this for what does the future look like if we keep teaching other people if we keep bringing people in if, if we have that kind of systemic change that we're talking about what does it look like to each of you I mean, for me, I don't, I don't know what it looks like necessarily, but I know like the most important thing to me is, is reclaiming the media. You know, if the media wasn't so disingenuous, if, if more people were informed by the actual truth instead of something trying to shape it, I think that's the best thing for society because the Democrats couldn't get away with what they do if they were called out on TV every night. But as far as like the future goes, I hope, cause I, I, I hate to say it, but I, kind of don't hate to say it, but Biden probably is going to win. I mean, you know, he's probably going to win. The, the pandemic made that a reality. The way not, it looks like right now, if yeah, no, everything continues out as, it, as it is. Yeah, nothing else made it possible other than the pandemic. But realistically, you know, I mean, he could still blow it. There's lots of ways to blow it. Let's not even go there. But my hope is that the people in the streets, you know, things are going to get so hard by November for people because of COVID that I hope that that the Black Lives Movement in the streets also pivots to staying in the streets for Medicare for all, for a Green New Deal. So, so we take and we capitalize on on the protest movement that's filling the country right now. Is my hope. I I, oh, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, electoral electorally, I'm just kind of like f everything. I mean, I have a Bernie tattoo. I've given my life to that campaign for four years. I've mm -hmm. I've done everything I possibly can for that movement, and right now he's breaking my damn heart. So you know. I, I don't have a lot of hope electorally. I think that if someone of his magnitude, of his you know influence, who has inspired millions of people, cannot get 
things through to actually so-called change the party and stuff, I have no hope it's going to happen at all. I do hope that if Biden wins, and I do mean if, um, I'm not convinced that people don't, quote, go back to the things way things used to be, because that's basically the most privileged way um, you could possibly behave. I hope that people still go out, still protest, still fight for change. Because if Biden wins, it's going to be like Hillary won and Trump was never elected. I mean, people are just going to want to go back to the way things were. Obama was the greatest thing that ever existed. Everything was perfect under him. And now let's just keep going exactly the way things are and things will never be progressive and you know the only thing i can hope for is that i hope i'm wrong yeah well when you got when you've got biden say he takes power and all the 50 million plus people have lost their health care because it's tied to their jobs and he's not pushing for medicare for all instead he's pushing to expand cobra i think that's going to have a lot of people pissed still He's already elected. What's the matter? Yeah, but those people still don't have jobs. They still don't have health care. They, you know, I, I think now is the time we have leverage. Right now. Yeah, yeah. And way too many people like, you know what? You have my vote regardless. That is the worst thing you could say to them, even if you think it saying it or making it tangible or posting it. That is the worst thing people can say because they're saying, you know what? Eh, people are dying, but you know what? You have my vote. You're taking corporate money. Eh, you still have my vote. You're voting with Trump nonstop. Eh, I still have my vote. And why in the world would the Dems change a damn thing when nobody is holding them accountable? Yeah, 100%. We, we gave up yeah. our leverage, and that was a big mistake on Bernie's part. You know, Absolutely. I, will, I will say that they're not the only group that burned through their leverage. Like we started this show talking about the K hive is going to be going through some problems soon, I think. But either way, they can save that for Blackabin. Let's wrap it up. What can <laughs> they up? Uh, where can people reach y'all online or buy this book? Uh, so the book will be at savageandpat.com. Um, it's there now, actually, but uh, savageandpat.com. And then uh, online, I'm at Pat the Burner, and I'm also at Silly Rabbit, S-I-L-E Rabbit, as Nate Sliver. And as far as I go, you can see over 300 of my video podcasts at uh, Real Progress in Action on YouTube. And now I'm with Uphill Media on YouTube. And you can follow me at Savage Joy Marie one on Twitter. And uh, also, if you guys pre-order, and like I said, it is being printed literally sent to the printer tomorrow. So you're not going to have a long wait. But if you do pre-order, Pat and I are signing. Well, you could pick one of us to sign the books and you can tell us to sign whatever you want. And that's been quite a, an interesting offer. <laughs> Some of the, the requests are, are pretty interesting. So uh, that's, that's been fun. <laughs> but yeah, it's been wonderful having you. Savagepat.com is the book. That's correct. And Pat, I didn't know that you were Nate Sliver until a couple weeks ago. I was so like a fan of that account. I was like, man, I wish we knew the real person that made it. And here you mm -hmm. are, which is really great. Oh, I appreciate it. I, I haven't been tweeting enough from that account. I think the uh, the last few months took a lot out of all of us, but uh, I'm going to revive it like crazy soon. I love it. So thanks both of y'all for being here. Not safe for wonks. Brandon's here. Kennedy's here. Leia's here. 
Everybody's yep. here. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you for All listening. Right. Um, and join so us much. as we come back. Oh, yeah. And thank you for being on. Um, yeah, I appreciate y'all coming by for this. Love week. you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, see you. Totally. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care.